Dear Father, we thank you for the life that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives us the very strength we need for each task that sits before us, lies before us each day. And Father, I pray that we will be found faithful to do those things that you have called us to do, most of all to have that attitude and that uh, mind in us that was in Christ, that we might see that our purpose here is serving, not to be served. Our purpose here is to minister unto those around us, to family, friends, co-workers, uh, whoever they may be, and to seek ways that we might be a blessing. Lord, as we look at this passage in Genesis today, we need clear direction from you to understand the hearts and lives of these people and what it is you were doing in them and through them and how you were preparing a people for yourself. We're grateful, Lord, that <coughs> we today are spiritual Israel and that we are those that you have called and have chosen. And Lord, it is our choice to serve you and to invite you to be present with us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Genesis chapter 29, beginning at verse 21. We're looking now in these next verses all the way through much of chapter 30 at what I've called the birth of a nation. And of course, the nation that is being born is Israel. Uh, as Jacob's 12 sons are born and daughters also, and uh, this begins the, the patriarchal period uh, as far as the nation of Israel specifically is concerned. So let's read beginning at verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed that I may go in to her. And Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came about in the evening that he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him. And Jacob went in to her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. He served with Laban for another seven years." Quite a story, isn't it? Jacob had already served seven years. He had worked seven long years in order to obtain Rachel. This was his, you might say, the bride price. Notice in, uh, back in verse 20, where the verse we ended with last week, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because he loved her. As I mentioned to you, this is really the difference between true love and what is, in fact, infatuation. Uh, with infatuation, we're very impatient, and we don't want to wait for anything because, you know, it might go away. But in true love, um, we're able to wait if we need to for whatever 
time period is necessary. Well, Laban recognizes that the bargain was a bargain. This is true. He had agreed to seven years. The seven years have been served. So immediately he begins to prepare the wedding celebration. On the surface, everything seemed to be going just as Jacob had hoped it would. Uh, the preparations were uh, going along just fine, and he was anticipating, of course, that actual day of wedding with, with Rachel. But behind the scenes, another plan was in operation. This plan, of course, was primarily in Laban's mind. Laban's plan, I believe, was kept a secret by him. Now, we don't know to what extent his wife was involved or, or anything here. His wife is not even mentioned. But I believe he kept it a secret from Leah and Rachel also until the last minute. Because certainly, uh, if he had let them know this several months in advance, that somewhere along the line, the cat would have gotten out of the bag. Uh, Jacob would have noticed something in what was being said by either Leah or Rachel or the, uh, the way they, they said something that would cause suspicion to arise. So I think Laban just let everything play out to the last minute and then he made the switch. Now, when we read this, we might say, how could Jacob be so dumb as to marry the wrong woman? You know, how many of us would go down the aisle and marry the wrong woman, you know, or wrong man, for that matter, if you are a woman? When the celebration was going on, didn't he wonder where Leah was? You know, what was going on here? Well, first of all, I think we need to, to recognize it's very characteristic among Bedouin uh, marriages, and certainly this is true even 4,000 years ago, for the, for the bride to be fully decked out and fully veiled. So she is covered, you know, who knows who's under there, really. <laughs> and uh, theoretically, it's, theoretically, it's the bride. And so apparently the two gals were close enough to the same height and more or less the same body structure that with all that garb on, there was no difference noticeable. But I think what makes this passage more understandable is the wording here in verses 22 and 23. I think if we look at this, maybe some of these other things don't really play much of a role at all. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came about in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him and Jacob went into her. I mean, where is the wedding celebration? Now, where is the wedding ceremony? I think that characteristically, uh, there was no ceremony as we think of a ceremony. You know, where the bride and groom stand together before some kind of a preacher or something, uh, or even in we, uh, what we have seen of modern Jewish weddings, not even like that. We're talking about a situation where the commitment's already been made, uh, the father is now turning over his daughter to the man. That is the wedding ceremony for all practical purposes. She is dressed in the wedding garb, yes. Uh, but the, the big deal is the celebration with all the men. And who's the stars? Who are the stars of the show? Laban and Jacob, not the bride. Probably the bride made a passing appearance at some point, but again, fully decked. She didn't make any speeches or any promises there verbally before the group. And so we're not talking about 
a, a time where they could be off in the corner talking with each other, you know. You, you go to weddings now and the bride and groom are off talking, you know, and they're doing this and that and drinking the punch together and shoving the cake in each other's faces and all this kind of thing. No, none of this was going on. Probably they saw each other very little on that day and, and only at a distance. I think when we take all that into consideration, it's quite understandable how it would be that Jacob would marry the wrong woman. It's very possible also that the switch was made at the last minute, that maybe Rachel was under those garments, and then it was Leah that was brought to the tent that night. Notice it says in the evening. It was at nighttime that Laban brought Leah to Jacob. He brought her fully veiled, to the door of the tent, and she was taken into a pitch black tent. And they spent the night together. I think that there was no way he could tell who the girl was. I think any conversation that took place took place in whispers. And you know if you whisper, you're not really sure who it might be. You know? your, your voice pattern uh, doesn't uh, really carry through in a whisper. And, and so who, who could tell? He couldn't tell who this person was. And so here we have Jacob, the <coughs> deceiver, is fully deceived, completely deceived. Can you think of a greater deception than to marry a different woman than you thought you were marrying? One commentator wrote, this was a masterpiece of shameless treachery. <laughs> I think, <laughs> yes? Any possibility of alcohol? Any possibility of alcohol? Oh, there's always a possibility. <laughs> that would have done it. <laughs> Made it so he didn't know who he was marrying, huh? <laughs> well, that's possible. He doesn't say anything about wine here any place in the passage, but, you know, can't rule it out. Uh, we, we would hope, maybe, they wouldn't be committed to it to that extent, but never can tell. I think what's really important here is the irony of it all. Jacob, the younger son, had deceived his father into believing that he was the elder son. Now Jacob is deceived by his father-in-law into believing that the elder daughter is the younger daughter. Now, I, I don't want to diminish the seriousness of this, but uh, is there not uh, something slightly humorous about that? If it weren't for the fact that there's a, we're going to be looking at terrible tragedy here as we go through this passage, if it weren't for that, it could be funny. But of course... It isn't really funny, at least in its results. <clears throat> what the scripture is illustrating here, as the scripture illustrates over and over and over again. Ever wonder why the scripture teaches us some things so often? Why the scripture illustrates the same truths over and over again? Huh. Because we're dense. Because we don't get it the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. Seems like it takes constant teaching for it to, to, to 
get in there. And then once we got it down, we go off on our merry way, and, and six years later, we blow it all over again. We've got to relearn the same lesson. Whatsoever a person sows, that shall he reap. This is the truth that keeps coming through in a passage like this and in many other passages in Scripture. Jacob sowed deception, he reaped deception. This is the law of God. He set it to work in the universe. And it's unavoidable. I think after the initial shock eventually wore off, Jacob was open to a little bit of teaching. And I think God spoke to him as a result. And God drove the point home. Jacob, this is what you are. You're a deceiver. And this is what happens when someone is deceived. This is how it hurts. This is the lasting impact of that deception. God wanted Jacob to understand who he was and what kind of character he had because God wanted to change him. Because one day God would say, you are no longer Jacob, you are Israel. You are no longer the deceiver, you are the prince. Prince of God. We might wonder why Leah went along with the scheme. You know, why didn't she stamp her feet and say, no, this isn't going to work? Why didn't she kick her father in the shins and tell him to, you know, just fly straight? She could have blown the cover, her cover at any point, couldn't she? As soon as she got in the tent, she could have said, by the way, I'm Leah. You know? <laughs> that would have uh, cooled his ardor right off the bat, I'm sure. But she didn't. There were many points along the way before that marriage was consummated where she could have revealed who she was, but she did not. Now the question is, why did she not? I think the answer lies, first of all, in the fact that in the society of those days, if you were a woman, you were under the authority of your father or of your husband. Those who were not under the authority of either were usually the prostitutes and, and the willy-nilly of society. Or an uncle, if you had no husband and your father was dead. You were under a male, author a male authority. And in those days, if your father said do this, you did it. You didn't throw a temper tantrum and run off into your part of the tent and turn up your radio, you know. Your father ruled with a law of iron. And for her to have refused to go along with her father could have produced very serious consequences, even to the point of ostracism from the family. Now, whether Laban would have done that or not, we don't know. But she could have been ostracized, and to be ostracized from the family left her, would leave her with virtually nothing to do but to become a prostitute. So, for this reason, she could not blow her cover. But I think there was another reason, sort of the little capping reason. And I think that was that she probably envied her sister, and I think she secretly loved Jacob too. After all, here was this dashing young man coming in from the south, and uh, uh, he's living in the family, and she met with him, I mean, saw him as much, well, maybe not as much, but uh, saw him frequently. And uh, I think that she had come, I mean, who else was there, really? Apparently no one else at this particular time for her. 
And so I think she went along with it because inside there was this desire that it might really be true for her. Think about it. Put yourself, not, not too vividly, but put yourself in the tent. The, mari the, the marriage has been, the wedding's been consummated, and they're supposed to be sleeping. I think Jacob slept. I don't think Leah slept. I think she laid awake all night, dreading the morning, because she knew at first morning's light, tragedy was likely to strike. Can you imagine Jacob when, the, when it becomes light enough to see in the tent and he rolls over and he looks to gaze into the face of his beloved? I think he probably thought he was still asleep and was having a nightmare. You know, have you ever been in a have you ever had a nightmare like that? <laughs> Hopefully not exactly like that. But <laughs> have you ever had a nightmare where you were in an impossible situation, and I mean it was tragic. No? <clears throat> I've had one every once in a while where I've been like in front of a class like this and had <laughs> a clue what to say, you know. What I do with my notes, what I do, you know. Spent the whole dream chasing around looking for, you know. I'm sure it happens to all of us in one situation or another. But, you know, as, as, as he pinched himself maybe, as he kind of, uh, you know, Am I awake here? And he looks again. I, I think he was incredulous. Could he believe his eyes? He had been in the tent all night with his vision. And suddenly he sees someone other than his vision. You don't have to actually have light to see the person that you really love. That person's image is, is there in your mind. And that wasn't the one. As he rolled over and stared into... Leah's face. You'll notice that there's nothing here to say that he lashed out at her. I think that he did not. I think he may have said, what are you doing here? <laughs> but I don't think he screamed and yelled at her. I think she was cowering and tears were probably in her eyes. This was, of course, the moment she dreaded, the moment of revelation when he would discover who he had spent the night with. I, I think Jacob went out of that tent bellowing like a bull, like an enraged bull. <laughs> he probably went over to Laban's tent and was ready to tear the thing down stick by stick. But what could he do besides yell? He was in Laban's household. All around were Laban's family, Laban's servants. I mean, even if he had tried to get a hold of Laban physically, he would have been removed. So he could do nothing but yell at Laban and ask him why he had done this to him. Had I not worked seven years, we made a bargain. What have you done to me? Well, Laban very defensively explained why he did what he did. It sounds pretty lame to us, doesn't it? Well, there's a custom in the land that you don't marry the younger before you marry the elder. Now, we talked about that before. It was possible that Jacob knew about that, but thought that the bargain superseded that. It's also possible that it wasn't a custom in the land, and that Laban just made it up because he wanted to get his older daughter married. Apparently, there weren't too many prospects um, for her. 
And uh, so he did this just to get her married off. That's a possibility. But because Rachel, um, um, Jacob had showed no interest in Leah as, as a wife, and because probably Jacob wasn't in the bargain for two wives, he felt he had to use deception to accomplish his purpose. So he did. Now for seven years, Laban had rubbed shoulders with Jacob. So he'd learned something about the character and the nature of this man. And he had come to believe that Jacob loved Rachel enough that he would do whatever it took to have her. So he was convinced that Jacob would accept a bargain for another seven years. And he also felt that Jacob was enough of a man that he would not throw Leah out on her ear. After all, they were legally married in the eyes of God and the eyes of man. Was Jacob a man of integrity? Well, he does not throw Leah out. Laban quieted Jacob's raging by offering him Rachel immediately. You work for me another seven years, but you may have her after the wedding week for Leah is completed. In other words, after the seven days, which was the initial wedding week that the groom and the bride spent together, uh, after that, we call it honeymoon today, after that's over, then I'll give you Rachel, and then you'll serve me seven more years. Jacob agreed. Now, if I were Jacob, I'd say, put it in writing. <laughs> no. No. I don't trust you too much. Now, think about it for a minute. Who probably is the only really happy person with this whole situation? It's got to be Laban, right? He's got to be the only guy happy with this whole thing. Certainly, Jacob's not happy. And Leah's not happy. And I don't think Rachel's very happy either. And again, we don't know, you know, does Laban have a wife who's still alive? What's going on here? Uh, she doesn't seem to play a role, whatever is the case. Uh, if she had any sensitivity towards her daughter, she probably wasn't terribly happy with the situation either. I think Jacob and Leah and Jacob and Rachel, these relationships were deeply dampened by the fact that the couple had become a trio. We have the old saying, two's company, three's a crowd, right? And we usually say that when we're talking about a male-female pairing. And most of us in our society don't think of it as being within the framework of a marriage situation. Jacob would ultimately work 14 years for two wives. This was not his original plan, but it's the way it worked out. And I think all along the way, Jacob was reminded by the Spirit of God, this is the price you pay for deception. And you have been a deceiver. You need to change your ways because look what tragedy is brought by such deception. As a wedding present, Laban gave each of his daughters a personal maid. He gave Zilpah to Leah and Bilhah to Rachel. Now this is not an unusual practice. It's a little bit unusual for them to be named in Scripture. 
but we will discover why, because they will play an unusual role in the family. As we get a little bit further along, we'll notice. Now, look at verse 30 again. So when Jacob went into Rachel also, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban with Laban for another seven years. Think of the emotion packed into that verse. What would have been Leah's emotions? Sadness. Knowing, especially on that second wedding evening, that the one who had embraced her seven days ago was now embracing her sister in the same way. But that knowledge wasn't only Leah's. That knowledge was also Rachel's. And this certainly would have dampened her joy that night to be reminded that just seven days ago her sister was in this very same bed. The passage tells us that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, which is, of course, to be expected. She was his beloved. But it seems to imply that there was a little bit of affection left over maybe for Leah that he didn't just loathe her from that moment on that he opened his eyes and there she was. As time passed, though, as we'll see as we read into the next passage, this would change. And his feeling, whatever he might have had for Leah, becomes absolutely zilch. But does this man have a complicated life ahead of him? Whoa. One thing you can say about this particular story is it does not represent uh, a commercial for polygamy. Let's read verse, verse 31 to the end of the chapter. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. You're going to see this over and over again with Leah. Surely now he will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Behold, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Whatever the measure of love was, or affection, or at least kindness that he had towards Leah, seems to be gone by the time we read this passage because it says that Leah was unloved. And literally the Hebrew word there is hated. Jacob had chosen to give his husbandly love to Rachel alone. And again, that is only to be expected. He worked seven years for this lady and he loved her for that seven years. And, and this was to be the the, the, you know, the great fruition of all that love and all that work and all that waiting. 
and now he has to share his home with two women. I think the problem was that Leah wasn't able to accept the situation without complaint. Would you be able to? Just silently bear it, knowing you cannot get out of the situation? This is your life. <laughs> this is your husband, as long as you're going to live. It's not going to change. I think because of her complaining, whatever affection Jacob might have had disappeared. Now, it's possible for you and for me to love many people at one time. Probably not as the radio preacher says, who says, Oh, I love all of you out there in radio land. Right. Doesn't even know who's listening to him out there in radio land. But it's possible for you and for me to love many people. But not as a husband loves a wife or a wife loves a husband. It is not possible to love many with that kind of love. Because that is a special relationship. If it's not a special relationship, then it should never have, marriage should never have occurred. This is why God said from the beginning that the husband should leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they two would become one flesh, not they three or they four. The two would become one flesh. And that is not, as we noted when we studied that passage, just a reference to the sexual union. It has to do with the merging of the husband and the wife into one person in the sense that they face the world and the future as one. And, and their personalities blend and, and the two together uh, reinforce each other so that whatever come, comes along, they can deal with those situations with the help of God. Now, we've, you've been in many classes and seminars and, and uh, services where uh, messages have been preached on the fifth chapter of Ephesians. And we're not going to look at that again today. But the husband-wife relationship is in Scripture closely parallel to the individual God relationship. The relationship that God has with His church and His church has with God is likened unto the relationship that a husband has with his wife and vice versa. The scripture teaches us how many gods can we worship? How many gods can we love? Scripture makes it plain, just one. Jesus, when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount, said that uh, we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve God and mammon because if we love the one, we will hate the other. If we serve the one, we will hate the other. In 1 John, the second chapter, John tells us that you cannot love the world and God. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us, and in effect, vice versa. So if it's impossible for you and for me to love God, gods, many gods, then it's really impossible for us to love many mates. We cannot love multiple wives or multiple husbands. It is impossible. It just cannot happen. If we love one, we will hate or despise or, or at least be estranged from the other. And that is the picture we see here. 
There is an estrangement between Jacob and Leah. It's not a good relationship. Jacob may have been able to survive in that situation because he had Rachel, whom he deeply loved and whom he knew loved him. But who did Leah have? She didn't have, quote, another husband, Lord forbid, uh, in this situation. She, the only one who could love her would be Jacob, and he wasn't loving her. He performed his husbandly function. Obviously, we read the passage here, she kept conceiving. He performed his husbandly function of sexual relationships with her. And he allowed her to live in the general household. But that's as far as it went. They were not husband and wife in, in spirit and emotion. What is God, how, how does God view all this? Scripture says God had compassion on Leah. I know that it doesn't ultimately salve all our problems because we all need someone with skin, as it has been said, someone with skin on them to love us, but if we know that God loves us no matter what, that, that's a big help. <laughs> and for Leah to know that at least God loved her, I think is the only thing that kept her going through all of this. And God's compassion on her. I, I don't know to what extent she knew God. Certainly she knew God well enough to give him praise and credit, as we noticed and will notice as we go through this, this passage. God gave her children while Rachel remained barren. Is it not interesting to note that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all married into the same family? And the scripture in Genesis says of all three of their women, Sarah, Rebekah, and Rachel, that they were beautiful women. And they seemed to have a beauty that was above the, the norm for their society. Even to the point, as you remember, in Sarah and Rebekah's case, the husbands got themselves into trouble. And yet, every one of them was barren until God intervened. Interesting when you think about that. Now, barrenness was considered a curse. Uh, to be barren was the worst thing that could happen to a woman who was married. Now, Leah hoped that her fruitfulness, contrasted with Rachel's barrenness, would win back some of Jacob's love. I don't think she had any hope for all of his love. I don't think she had any hope that she would replace Rachel. But she hoped for a little, a little bit of kind word, kind, a few kind words, a little bit of attention because he wanted to be there and not because he felt it was his duty to be there. As you read this passage, does your heart go out for Leah? It doesn't elevate Jacob much in your thinking, or doesn't in mine anyway. But you know what this does? When you, when you put people under tremendous pressure like this, you begin to see the real nature and the real character of these people. And you begin to see who Rachel is and who Leah is and who Jacob is and how they react to each other under pressure. You know, we all would be like that. We all would even be worse except for what God has done in our hearts and lives. And it's so important, I think, that we walk with God with such intensity that when something, a crisis comes into our lives, our reaction is a testimony to the world. We don't react as the world reacts. I remember years ago when I was first in Simpson that one of the professors 
uh, spoke in chapel, and uh, he was telling about how the Lord worked in his life, and he was mentioning when he was in, I think it was in the Navy, that uh, he was working with some tools, and, and he slammed his, a tool into his hand against the steel wall of the ship. You know, and, 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 it, and it, the pain was great, and he was jumping around, and, and he didn't utter one curse word. And the other sailors around were just, I mean, that was what flabbergasted them, you know, because, as you know, most of them would blew, blew, blew the air up <laughs> with, uh, with their vocabulary. But he said later that several of them said that was a powerful testimony uh, that God had changed him to the core. It's easy to be changed on the surface, right? But when something like that happens, bam, that surface is gone and the real person comes out. But he had been transformed down to the fact that his language wasn't, I mean, he didn't even think those thoughts anymore. He didn't think that way. God had transformed him. Well, God's working on these people. They've got a long ways to go yet. But as you'll see, their character does, does come out as various events transpire. And we'll see that even as we get into the 30th chapter here. Leah does seem to have some understanding of God. That God cared for her and that God was able to intervene. She credits God with being the author of life. And she credits God with enabling her to conceive and to bear children. She recognized God. And this, of course, is extremely important. It's a foundation. Now, this passage the last few verses of this chapter obviously covers uh, several years of time because she bears four sons here. And you have to, in, in the society of that day, uh, believe that because obviously they nursed the child and they nursed the child usually until he was three or four years of age, that uh, probably she was not able to conceive immediately uh, so that we're probably talking about, let's just say, an average of two years per child. So we're talking about a period of, of at least eight years here, most likely, as these children are born. She has four sons, and the names are given to us here, and something of the meaning of the name is given. She names her first son Reuben. Uh, his name, which was based on the verb to see, meant, behold, a ben, a son. Behold, a son. You know, can you imagine her? Behold a son. I have given to Jacob a son. Now maybe he'll love me because I have given him the greatest gift a woman can give her husband, a son. Jacob obviously kept coming around because Simeon was born and his name is based on the verb to hear and meant the Lord has heard. The Lord has heard me and he's given me another son. Now maybe Jacob will love me. Third son comes along, Levi, whose name is based on the verb to join. And basically she, she explains there, maybe this will enable Jacob to attach to me. His name meant attached. Levi meant attached. So, but the idea was that her husband would now attach to her that he would now really claim her in true wife manner. Can you see the frustration of this lady? Child after child, she's still reaching out for that which Jacob is unable to give. Fourthly, Judah is born, whose name is 
based on the verb to give praise. His name meant God be praised. Does she give up on God? Apparently not. She continues to hope in the only source of hope she had. She certainly didn't have any source of hope in her sister or in her husband, it seemed. But she still had hope in God. Leah continued to give God credit for blessing her, and she continued to hope that Jacob would love her. Take it by syllable, by syllable and, and form this word, like uh, in this case, first one, behold a son in Reuben. Uh, do they already have this plan that Reuben means behold a son? Or how does the Hebrew come up with that? Well, I'm not, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, but the Hebrew, as far as I understand, they probably, you know, whether this name had ever been used before, we don't know. You know, there's no precedent for it in Scripture. But they had a tendency to, to name their sons or their daughters with names that had meaning. And uh, generally we don't. We just pick a name because we like it. Then we may get one of those little plaques in the mail from somebody that says, well, David, David means strong, conquering warrior or something like that, you know. But, uh, and we're glad. <laughs> but uh, ever notice how all those are always positive? <laughs> Whenever you get one of those, whatever the kid's name is, always positive. <laughs> but, um, of course, most people don't name the kid Ichabod. <clears throat> Goliath. <laughs> But, uh, you know, in exactly that, I, I'm not really sure how they assembled it that way. Does anybody here know for sure? The Hebrew has, you know, is written with little characters. And uh, the characters are not necessarily syllables. Uh, they can have a single character, or can have multiple word meaning. And uh, I don't know what the character is here for Reuben. And, of course, she didn't, name him in Hebrew anyway. She named him in probably in Aramaic. And so what we have is the Hebrew uh, transliteration of that which has been translated into English. So that's best I know. But the point is, I think, that in, in each of the name is a root. And that root, like, for example, Simeon, is based on the, the verb shama, which means to hear. And uh, by the modification of it, uh, you add the Lord has heard and, and it puts it into a tense and gives a subject to it. The Lord, uh, that is Leah, continued to give God credit for blessing her and through all of this she continued to hope that God would love, I mean that Jacob would love her. And what this illustrates in part is how desperate is our need for love. We all need to be loved. <laughs> You've all seen the, that old bumper sticker, usually on a beat up an old, old car, that even a dirty old man needs love, you know? <clears throat> I, he probably never thought about the fact that if he stopped being a dirty old man, he'd have someone who might love him. But. We all need love, and this is the truth. We all need love. We may think we're strong, and we can go barge right through life, and, and we can just you know, throw everything off like 
water off duck feathers, but it isn't true. And it wasn't true for Jacob, and it wasn't true for Rachel, and it wasn't true for Leah. And Leah was simply the one for whom it became most obvious because she was the one who was unloved in an impossible situation. And I think one of the lessons we derive from this is we need to be so careful how we treat one another, not only in the marriage relationship, but in other relationships. We, we need to help those around us to know that we care about them, that they're important to us, because that can save people from some tragic consequences. After bearing four sons, while Rachel bore none, and Rachel grew more and more jealous as a result, the scripture says at the very last of that chapter, then she stopped bearing. God brought a halt to it. Now the implication is Jacob still came to her but she no longer was able to bear for, for, for God's reasons. God stopped her ability to bear. And now as you go into the 30th chapter, the focus comes initially upon Rachel because she has been barren lo these many years. And this is frustrating her because she is seeing Leah, Leah bring child after child, son after son into the world. And although it hasn't taken Jacob from her, as that husband love, it has taken him from her in terms of time spent. Because where are his little ones growing up? At Leah's tent. And so Leah at least has that attraction for him to come and see his kids as they're growing up. And uh, this will increase Rachel's jealousy and some of her character begins to become obvious. Next week we'll uh, probe into the 30th chapter and uh, see how this story continues to unfold.